From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bad. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Miles. And this is the best beer show on the internet, according to our mothers. Absolutely. All right, uh, we have one heck of a show for you today. Well, I certainly uh, hope well, so. Well, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Well, first off, guys, for the first time in four months, we have, wait for it, homebrew. It's going to be exciting. Granted, it's a beer I'm not terribly fond of because it just did not turn out. I know exactly what went wrong, I think. And it's, uh, well, it's a combination of a bunch of different factors. But uh, it turned out drinkable, and that's all that's important. Yes. It also turned out something that we could critique. We can, we can, yeah, we can definitely talk about it. Um, but we're going to try to focus on the yeast because that was the, it was a parallel brew to see how the different yeast yeah, did. The whole, the whole point. Yes. So we're going to try to focus on that. But before we get into that, Miles, what have you been doing lately, beer related? I have been prepping for this evening. What is this evening? This evening is the River Falls first homebrew club. That's right. We are recording this Saturday instead of Monday. It's a whole thing. Yeah. It's so by the time you'll have listened to this, we would have had a wonderful, successful meeting of... First of many. Yes, the first of many. Uh, and maybe chosen a name and everything. It'd be very exciting. Yes. All right. Uh, but yeah, so what? What? Uh, I guess what is the River Falls Homebrew Club? The River Falls Homebrew Club is going to be... A place where people can get together, ideally to uh, brew, talk about, educate, critique each other's homebrews. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds sounds pretty cool, and hopefully we'll be able to get some more information out to our wonderful listeners, especially those in the area, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. I have had a, well, I haven't really drank a whole lot of beer this week, except for last night. I ended up at uh, Bent Brew Stillery. Of course. Uh I ended up talking with Bartley about uh, their the beers that they have there. They're doing a bunch of different things, which is very exciting. They had a mead on tap last night, uh, a young lambic, yeah, and uh, a a bourbon barrel aged Belgian strong ale. Oh, that and sounds so good. Yeah, they just had a bunch of stuff, a lot of really good stuff on tap, and they just started doing spirits. So uh, they. It's their Ghost Gunner gin is is the one that they've just released, and it's the best gin, hands down, that I've ever had. It's a gin you can drink like a whiskey. Let's put it this way. It was so good that he had to call me afterwards to tell me how good it was. Yes, and then invite you over to drink scotch, which you did not do. I was unable to for varying reasons. Yep, most of them being... He did not want to because that is he a hates lie. scotch. That is a lie. No, nope, we all know it's true. He took back his invitation immediately after inviting me over. Yep, took it back. It's like, fine, you don't get any then. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so it, you know, it, was, it was a good time. They have a nice tap room. and It was fun to just hang out and have a few beers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, I haven't really done a whole lot beer-related. We we developed a recipe for a clone of Lightspeed, and we were going to brew it this weekend, but due to inclement weather, mainly being winter in Wisconsin, 
Uh, oh, gee, we, I wonder what that's like. Yeah, cold. Well, I was very worried that our propane tanks would no longer spout propane. Yeah, what what what, what was the forecast for the day? It like was it was supposed bo- to be minus ten. Yeah, like ten with below a with a like, massive wind chill. Feels like twenty five below. Yeah, or right around there. So we were like, yeah, we're not gonna risk it. We'll just N- not, move not on. Not today. Yeah. So we'll try to do that again sometime in the future here. Unfortunately, that's just kind of the way winter goes. Mm-hmm. It's like it. It's a little back and forth whether or not it wants to be cold, but once it decides to, it gets cold, Very cold. and then stays that way. And yeah, just it's unrepentantly cold. It's just not good. All right. Well, uh, Miles, what else do we have planned for the show today? Do we just have this? Should we just do this? Should we start with the quiz? Should we start with the quiz, or do we want to talk about the beer first? Wow, that was a lot of questions. There no, was two questions um, repeated three times. Let's do the let's do the quiz a little bit first. And then we'll talk about our beers. Okay. And then we'll kind of finish it up with a couple of more details. All righty. Sound, sound good? Sounds good. All right. Welcome to the world of English bitters. I do love these beers. Yes, this is a, an ocean that he loves to swim in quite frequently. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so pale ale, or excuse me, the English bitter uh, is made primarily with pale ale, amber, and or malt crystals, and sometimes with a touch of uh, black malt for color adjustment. The specialty malts will come from either the light end of the crystal side or the super dark roasted side. Uh, many use sugar adjuncts, corn or wheat. English hops are most typical, uh, Fuggle and EKG being the primary used, although American and European varieties are becoming more common. Uh, Characterful English yeast, often medium sulfate water is used. Mash in the mid-150s, ferment right around 70 degrees. Sound about right? Yeah, sounds about right. All right. So I, I want to say that we've talked about uh, some of the details on ESBs before. And so I figured we could go a little bit into the history of it so that we can get a get a bit of a background on what we're getting into. Okay. Since I'm pretty sure you're an expert on this entire subject. Expert is not the right word. <clears throat> so, when did the origin of the English bitter take place? When? Yeah. Like, you want yes. a year? Yeah, well, not or a, a day? Year. Uh, give me an era. <laughs> give you an era. Yeah. I'd say the 1600s, 1500s, 1600s. 16th century England, when Flemish immigrants introduced hops to the region. Is I was close. No, you you were pretty darn close. Uh, and what were beers like before that? And what were they called? Uh, they were called Breggets. Okay. Uh, and they were spi- They were they were, for lack of a better term, hopped with different things, uh, different spices. Yeah. So they were they were herbal beers, spiced and or spice and herb mixtures. Uh, and Gruet was the term I was looking for. Although oh, I think yeah, Breggets. Breggets. Words. No, Gruitz. Gruitz right. Breggett's wrong. Okay. Gruitz right. Uh, why was the early English pale ale and bitters primarily for the rich during the 17th and 18th century? Uh, because expensive. Yes. Why was it expensive? Because hops, alcohol, not cheap. No, it's actually because of the light grains. Oh, that's right. Because, yeah. It was very difficult to make that pale book. malts. Um, and when and why did this change? Wait, what? When and why did that change? When did it change? Yeah. Um, I want to say the 1800s. 
Yes. Now, why? Why? I don't know. I Well, I know. I've read it. I know this information. I just can't recall this information. That the, makes sense? Yeah. The Industrial Revolution is what made producing light-colored malts really cheap and easy. Okay. And uh, let's see. Yeah, and this led to the bitter ale being the primary of drink of choice. However, they were not overly bitter beers. So why were they called bitters, and why were they called ales? So well, they were they were called bitter ales, but each term has its own purpose for being because, in the title. Because, well, they're, they're an ale. They're, they're an ale. <laughs> Do I have to explain the difference between an ale and a lager no, on you, this show? No, you don't. But this, this might actually be where uh, the misnomer of ale versus dark comes into play. Because I talked to a lot of people when I worked at the liquor store. They're like, I don't like dark beers. I like ales. And for you and I, that seems a little backwards because most dark beers are ales. I don't like the term dark beer. Well, S R M. I know. I just. I. I just. I. Yeah. Uh, the reason they called them ales was because it was contrary to the stout and porter. Okay. And so they introduced that term primarily to separate itself from the darker beers that have been the only thing available to the proletariat for a long, long time. Okay. Uh, And then the bitter part came from saying that it was bittered with hops and that's a thing that you like. So it was advertising that specific quality. Okay. And so saying it was a bitter ale was just a complete opposite of everything that was available for hundreds of years. Makes sense. It was also just more sanitary to drink since the introduction of hops. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. What sets the English bitter apart from a pale ale? Um, The big thing is, I guess, a pale ale... Man, what sets it apart from... The bittering. The IBUs, I think, is the big thing. And... Different malts are used, but I guess you could have an English pale ale, which is very similar to an English bitter. There's not a huge difference between an English pale ale and an English bitter. There, there really isn't, and so it's it really is kind of a nitpicky area. Uh, but if you really wanted to start defining the difference, it would be the utilization in the flavor and hop aromas, or excuse me, the utilization of hop flavor and aromas. Okay. Um, where a pale ale is much more pronounced and the bitters rely on more balance and subtlety. Okay. And so that that's going to be the primary difference. Uh, again, it's gray nitpicky area, but... Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. Here we are. Uh, bitters are often pigeonholed into one of three different classifications based on original gravity and alcohol content. With... Uh, balanced hop rate that puts them with a excuse me with a concomitant hop rate that puts them with a respective balance what are the three different categories under which english bitters may fall and how do they differ there's there's bitter and there's extra special bitter and then there's oh man what's the third one i know this one i know this one damn it i can't think of this one it's like the extra extra special bitter there's uh there's the ordinary bitter Okay. Then there's the best bitter, and then there's the extra special bitter. Okay. And, excuse me, and respectively, they more or less just get stronger mm-hmm. and stronger with um, 
everything being scaled up to keep it balanced, respectively. Yep. Um, <clears throat> we wanted we could dive into a little bit more deeply what that implies, but okay. I think uh, I think it's otherwise pretty self-explanatory. The the ordinary bitter ABV less than four percent, so super super sessionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the special bitter uh, less than four point six and up to forty IBUs, and the extra special or the strong bitter is up to can be up to six percent and over fifty IBUs. Extra special, absolutely. Yeah. But in that low range of the extra special, yes, under five. Yeah, four point six to five would be yep. acceptable. Uh, and so what I have after that is just uh, a definition of the yeast that we use in the beers that we have today. Okay, uh, well, why don't we just... Uh, so, I'll let me tell you a little bit about these uh, beers. Uh, it, I used, I believe it was 19 or 20... Uh, 1968. Well, no, I was going to give the recipe. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was, it was I want to say 19 pounds of English pale... And then it was half a pound of crystal, I want to say 20, 15 or 20. Just a very small amount. Um, I have the actual recipe written down in my book, but I don't have my book. I Do I have it on? Did I ever put this up on Brutoad? Ah. I don't, we're, we're about to find out. Continue. Okay. Uh, and then it was U.S. Fuggle because I couldn't find any, or I couldn't find enough English Fuggle, which... Mildly irritated me. Uh, but then we took these ingredients and we aged them. Yes. For too long. I don't know, four months. <laughs> no, not that long. It was close. Well, three. It was three, three months. So we aged them for three months on top of a freezer just to, you know, really bring out those off flavors that we were looking for. And, <laughs> and, uh, then I, I it was a ten gallon batch. I split it uh, and put uh, London ESB in one batch and British ale, British ale yeast in the other, and so that's what we have sitting in front of us right now. Yes, and those yeasts were also very old, and I did not have a chance to do a starter with them, and we ran into what could be a few issues with this beer, but. The flavors are still discernible, and it's still a palatable beer. Yes. So shall we get into how they taste? Yes. All right. Why don't we start with the uh, London ESB? Why don't you give me your uh, thoughts first? Uh, I thought it had a nice fruity aroma to it. Uh, the lacing is fantastic. Uh, cloudier than I'm used to or what I would expect. Yeah, well, the cloudiness, that is no fault of the yeast, or that's... I'm blaming that right now on the kegs. They haven't okay. settled yet. All right, fair enough. Uh, light, dry, light and dry on the palate. I get a little bit of car- caramel notes, uh, coarse carbonation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just primarily as far as the yeast goes, I get a lot of that fruitiness. Yeah, I I, I pretty much picked up the same thing. Uh, that London ESB is very fruity. I don't know if I'll use it again because I don't really care for that much fruit character in my... ESB. In my ESB. Yeah, I don't either. I think it would go really well in, like, an English porter, maybe, or a brown ale. Yeah, I can see that. Let, it, let some of the nutty characteristics come through, mm-hmm. balance that out with the fruitiness. Yeah. That would actually be pretty good. Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, what did you come up with? Uh, essentially the same thing. The, I noticed a lot of fruit uh, in out of that yeast. Um, otherwise, the beer itself, again, cloudy, but I feel like that's more of a keg settling issue. Than, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull these kegs and put them back in the uh, conditioning area uh, and let them settle for a good another two, three weeks. Sure. And then come back to them and hopefully they'll have cleared up a bit. Now, if nothing else, I'll throw some gelatin in there and really clear it up. <laughs> uh, otherwise, uh, flavor-wise, I feel like it's it's a little sweeter than I was going for. This yeast didn't dry out quite like I was looking for it to do. Yeah. And uh, they did finish a couple points higher than expected. Yep. So I don't know if that was lack of a starter, bad yeast, what. Um, I'm assuming it was... A little combination of all of the factors that went into this brew. All right, fair enough. And why don't we hop right over to the British Ale? What did you think of that? Uh, British Ale, it was cleaner. I got the beer itself tasted more biscuity to me. Like I got a good, you know, English biscuit character. You know what I? I don't there, know if I'm... there wasn't as much of a yeast quality coming from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beer itself was more bready, more biscuity. The aroma for me. What it, it was still fruity, but it was more hidden. Mm-hmm. It was a secondary aroma as opposed to a primary. And the, yeah. the primary, I think, was just kind of a multi-characteristic. Yeah, and uh, this British ale yeast is my primary yeast when doing uh, ESBs. This is what I usually use, and so it's the flavor I'm used to. Yeah, I, I, I do find myself wanting to go towards the, the British ale beer more so mm-hmm. than the London ESB. I feel like the hop character comes through a little bit better, too. Uh, like just the, the the bitterness is there more. Yeah. In in the London ESB, I feel like it fell to the background a little too much. Sure. And that could be the the a perceived sweetness from the fruitiness, or because it finished a couple points higher. It is interesting to really just kind of see what the yeast decides to put on the forefront of the beer, and then what it kind of yeah. sit on the back burner. It. Because these are these are two different beers. They're two completely different beers. It's very interesting. And same wort, same everything, just two different yeasts. And it's it's amazing how different these beers are. Yeah. Uh, so should we talk about the yeasts that we used? Yeah, let's let's talk about those. Uh, uh, let's. Well, when do you want to start with? Well, uh, London ESB. I figured uh, Y yeast nineteen sixty eight is a highly flocculating, top-fermenting yeast strain with a rich multi-character and a balanced fruitiness. Uh, This strain is so flocculent that additional aeration and agitation is needed, an excellent strain for cask-conditioned ales. Um, So this this one quality of this yeast could be what made your beer finish a couple points high. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because clearly it just says straight out, it is so flocculent, you have to keep it doing what it's doing, otherwise it's going to stop prematurely. Yeah, and that could definitely be my problem, because I don't have aeration and whatnot in my system right now. And were you agitating it on a regular basis? No, well, I was agitated with it, does that count? (laughs) It does not. Uh, attenuation levels are typically less than most other yeast strains, making for a slightly sweeter finish. Ales produced with this strain tend to be fairly fruity. Fruitiness will increase with higher fermentation temperatures. Uh, diacetyl production is noticeable, and a thorough rest is necessary. 
Yeast traps trub easily, and autolysis during storage is accelerated. A very good cast condition ale strain due to a rapid and complete flocculation. Brilliant bright beers are easily achieved without any filtration. All right. Well, and uh, what's the what's the recommended fermentation? Uh, uh, seventy to seventy-four. Okay, I did ferment this a little low then. Okay, I think I did it about sixty-eight. Okay, um, which uh, but I di- and I there was no diastole rest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could definitely be part of. I, I some was of the f- I was thinking I was tasting a little bit in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing nothing that wrecks the beer by any means. No, but but it's definitely there. Yeah, so it is interesting to to kind of get your feedback, what you were tasting, and be able to say it right back to you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, because it's. I mean, sweet, fruity. It's not a bad beer. No, and it's not. It's just not what I was looking for. But this yeast, I can definitely see using in something else. Yeah, that I want that British character in. I feel like it works well with those British malts. I find it interesting that they say it's the London ESB yeast, and it's not one we'd want to use for an ESB. But we're also Americans who are used to, like, dry, super hoppy, super bitter pale ales as our go-to. That's true, but I I do appreciate the difference between English and American beers. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so when I go toward an English beer, what I'm looking for, biscuity... Um, a softer ye- uh, hop character, yeah. Um, and just there's there needs to be some yeast character there, but I want it slightly muted. Sure, just kind of sitting in the background. It just kind of helps be the platform. It's, it's for there the rest if I look beer. for it. Yeah. Uh, so the the other yeast we used was the British Ale Y Yeast Ten Ninety Eight, and this you said was your go to yeast, correct? Yeah, this is the one I use. Uh, you know, nine uh, times out of ten when I'm brewing. English beers. This yeast produces beers with a clean, neutral finish, allowing malt and hop character to dominate. Ferments dry and crisp, slightly tart, fruity, and well-balanced. And this will ferment well, even down to 65 degrees. Yep. And so I think, and I tried to find, you know, more uh, about the characteristics of this yeast, and it was all almost copy-pasted from the 11 different websites Mm -hmm. that I went to. Uh, so this really should be the bottom line of what this yeast offers. And it seems pretty straightforward. Um, I, I think it helps spell out that we like this this one better uh, because of the temperature goes with the yeast profile better. Uh, and it does better to let us taste the rest of the beer first and then the yeast second. Yes. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll agree. And it lets the hops shine through is is a big thing they they're they're there in in the in the other one the hop character was i i found it lacking for lack of a better well uh, yeah just lacking it wasn't you taste the bitterness and that's really about it Mm -hmm. um you don't get to taste the the hop flavor you just get hop bitterness Mm -hmm. so which isn't necessarily what you want i mean you do want that bitterness but you want a little bit of that flavor as well yeah, I I don't know, and I think that might be a very American thing to want to say too, just because we're so all over the place with our with our hops in any beer. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is a very very important part. Oh, it's crazy important. Where, whereas even some of my research saying that with bitters in general, 
the fallback is EKG and Fuggle. Like, that's 90% of what you'll see. Yeah. You know, and that's and there, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, and the other part that I, I usually use EKG, and I use Fuggle this time. I like EKG better. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> I, I like English hops. I like English ingredients, really. Yeah. They're um, fun. They're, they're fun. delicious. The, and that's really all that matters. The I I would also want to pigeonhole them and say like by the time I'm using any English ingredient, I want to use only English ingredients. Yeah, I I that's what I try to do. Like so my I have a philosophy when I'm making a beer from like a specific region. I want to use ingredients from that region. So if I'm making a pilsner, I'm not going to use U.S. Pils malt. I'm going to use German Pilsner malt or Czech, Czech Pilsner. Pilsner. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use those malts and those yeasts and, if I can, those hops. Yeah. Because it just it makes a more authentic, better-tasting beer, in my opinion. Which, which is true. And for me, I'm a bit of a purist at heart, so I... I have a tendency to want to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm also much more willing to branch out and say, well, this has a quality I'm looking for, and so does that. I don't care that one's from Germany and one's from America. But, like, English profile or English ingredients specifically, by the time I'm using one, I want to use only. And that's because I, they just have a certain quality about all of them. That melds together. That well. melds together seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree a hundred percent with you there. So, are we agreeing that ten ninety eight is the bitter yeast of choice? It's my house bitter yeast. I don't. <laughs> no. So yeah, yeah, it's. I'm I'm okay with this. I'll I'll agree with you on that. I don't like the fruitiness of the. Though I feel like 10, I could I could craft a bitter around London ESB. Maybe I think maybe if it did something lighter. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. You know, I want to say that... Or hopped it a bit more, just to bring some... I, I think it would be interesting to make one that had a lot more of the caramel crystal aspects coming through. Well, in my last recipe, I used a full pound of crystal, and there was a lot coming through. Would you have used 1968 for it? I don't know. Maybe. But I feel like it would have been too sweet for me. Uh, what do you think about fruity esters coming from a dry beer? Do you think it that's doesn't mismatched? it doesn't really work, yeah. <laughs> but I like dry beer. <laughs> yes. As we keep coming back to. So, I, mean, so it's, I I guess it's not something I would brew. Yeah, I I can see that. It's, it just doesn't fit your your palate. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't fit the style of my quote unquote brewery. <laughs> no, so that pretty much uh is is what I have for you today. Okay. Yeah, I think that was a that was a fun topic. Uh, I need more coffee. Uh, <laughs> uh, experiment to success? Yeah, I definitely think that the experiment was a success. We got two different beers from the same war, which is what we were looking for. And I think just in general, um, I'm really starting to be able to classify yeast profiles better mm-hmm. just for literally having them side-by-side side and knowing what their differences if, are. If, if you have the means to do a side-by-side side comparison like this, 
Next time you're brewing, even just uh, siphon off a gallon, gallon and a half, and pitch a different yeast in it, and you will be amazed at how different the two beers are. Yeah. And everybody else around you, you'll be like, yeah, so I got this beer and this beer. What? Yeah, and they uh, honestly, you put these in front of someone, they would never know that they were the same base recipe. Mm-hmm. They don't taste the same no. at all. No. All right. Well, uh, thank you for tuning in today to Homebrew Bound. If you enjoyed this show or ha- and would like to support us, head on over to blindnessstudios.com. Click on the Amazon link at the, at the bottom of the homepage. And do your regular Amazon shopping, and Amazon gives us a little bit of a kickback. Everybody wins. If you want to support us more directly, head on over to Patreon.com, and you can uh, give us a direct donation there, or set up a recurring donation, uh, as little as a dollar, or as much as as much as you want. If you have any uh, homebrew questions, or would like us to taste your beer and critique it, uh, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindnewsstudios.com, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnewsstudios, or you can follow us on Twitter at blind underscore ninja. And I'll see you guys next week.